Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are welcoming our third member of the immediate family, the esteemed guitarist, Wadi Wachtel. Is that not the most like unforgettable rock and roll rock star name of all time? Wadi Wachtel? No one ever is going to forget that name. Anyway, like the others, Wadi's career goes back like 50 years. And I purposely didn't want to ask him about some... I, all these guys played with so many of the same people. I didn't want to keep asking about Jackson and keep asking about Linda and keep asking around about Henley or whatever. So for Wadi, we go into some other directions. We talk about Stevie Nicks, of course. He's the one playing guitar. This iconic lick from Edge of 17 is Wadi Wachtel. So of course we get into Stevie... His career begins with the Everly Brothers, so we talk a lot about the Everly Brothers. He even played with Adam Sandler for a while. He produced the Church's Starfish album, which includes Under the Milky Way, and Steve Kilby of the Church is maybe our most popular guest of all time. So that's that's interesting, hearing Wadi's perception of Steve. Uh, he also played guitar on songs, like classic songs, like Oh Sherry and Betty Davis Eyes. He worked closely with Warren Zevon for a while. We talk about Warren. He co-wrote Werewolves of London. And uh, there's a bunch of other stuff in here too. Iggy Pop, Kenny Rogers, you name it. So uh, the, the only, the single from the immediate family, Cruel Twist, is out there now. But here's our chance to kind of hear the rest of Wadi Wachtel's story. And like the rest, there's just so much fun stuff. To, to listen to and to absorb and stories to tell. Hope you guys enjoy this. I don't know how you couldn't. He's the best. He called me from his home in LA. Now, for starters, and I have no idea if your paths ever crossed. I don't see any evidence of that, but maybe it did. Just today, we lost the producer, Rupert Hine. Um, I was a big fan what? of his. Did you know that? Rupert? I didn't know that. No, oh, many. wow. I, oh, man. Rupert Hine. Yeah. English, English guy, correct? Yeah, yes. 
Um, worked with Tina Turner, The Fix, Howard Jones, Rush. Well, he also, he worked with Stevie. Yes, that's right. Uh, that's right. That, I forgot about that. Record, I went to I went to his place. Yes. On that record. Um, it was right after we got married. My wife and I got married. It was like 1988 or 89. Yeah. And, uh, oh, man, that's horrible. Yeah. I forgot you were on the Other Side of the Mirror album. That's right. Other Side of the Mirror. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. Anyway, well, I was curious if you, you know, obviously your paths did cross, and it's good to hear that he was as good a man as I hoped that he would was. He was lovely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was there for a couple of days. I stayed at his place, and we, you know, we just worked on tunes. And, yeah. Uh, he was very lovely. Good. Great. Okay. Well, good. Any other good news he got to start with? <laughs> oh, fuck, man. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was going to ask you about one more thing. Uh, speaking of people like Rupert, who I've had on the show, uh, last year or the year before, we had um, uh, Steve Kilby from um, uh, kidding, really? from the church. Whoa. Oh yeah, and uh, it's one of my favorite interviews we've ever had on here because that guy just does not pull any punches. We talked about him working with you and you producing that album, Starfish and Under the Milky Way, and everything. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight
I was curious what it must have been like working with Steve Kilby, because he is a trip. Did he have anything un nice or not nice to say about me? <laughs> well, I'll summarize. He felt like maybe you weren't the right guy for the job because you were this L.A. Laurel Canyon session guy and they're kind of a broody, you know, alternative rock group from Australia. And But I was telling him, like, Under the Milky Way is a masterpiece and that album is great. I don't know what more you could have wanted from that, but he just, you know, he's cr he's crusty. Oh, crusty, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking, uh, he's a real piece of work. Uh, I, I like Kilby. And it's uh -huh. funny because after that, I'm, I did a, a record for an Australian band called Mondo Rock and mm -hmm. went to Australia to do it. And my wife and I were there for like nine weeks. And we saw Kilby. He came mm -hmm. by and hung out and we had a good time. You know, it's as good a time as he can have without, <laughs> you know, cracking a smile. Right. You know, <laughs> but, uh, Oh. What what was it like working with them? Well, it was unique. They were uh, the, the situation was like this. I Greg Lozani was the one who got us the job, mm. and my late my late dear partner Greg, and he uh, introduced me to the band, and I heard them play, and I just said, "Well, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys ain't going anywhere until I feel you're ready to go in the studio because." This ain't good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I kept them in pre-production for weeks and uh, yeah. just kept them playing and playing and playing their songs. And uh, but when we got in the studio, it seemed to go okay. Yeah. But Milky Way was was the the one tune that was unlike everything else because mm -hmm. everything else were band performances and mm -hmm. Milky Way was he put it together with a, I can't remember our friend's name who had a a, a big old synthesizer at, at that day. That, uh, Fairlight, a big Fairlight okay. setup. So Steve and he every day would go into this room, and Steve would play the tune down, and then they'd start adding all these, making up all this stuff to go with it. You know, all these yeah. kind of, you know, crazy weird sounds and things like that, and loops and stuff like that. And yeah. so when they got to a certain point with it, I heard it and I went, okay, it needs drums. Uh, mm. We got to put real drums on this. And I put, uh, I think I started with uh, Craig Cramp played drums to it, mm. and then. But that wasn't enough. I said, I want more drums on it. So I got Russ Conkle to come in and play mm -hmm. on top of what mm -hmm. Craig did. And then I just sat there and mixed it and pulled, you know, went through all these mm -hmm. tracks that they had filled up with all this stuff. And I just kind of listened to everything. And then I would just kind of pull stuff in and out and mm -hmm. make it. And that's what's given it that floating mm -hmm. kind of feeling. There's, the there's like overdubs flying in and out from all over the place. And the snare drum keeps changing. The sound of everything keeps changing, and it was fa it was fun. It was a lot of fun, and yeah. uh, they were happy. He was happy with that one. Mm -hmm. He was happy with I, he was happy with the record, and he was they were happy with me because they approached me to do the second record. I didn't go mm -hmm. calling on it, mm -hmm. and and during the second record, I think we fired the drummer, and I wound up doing all programming like on, on a mm -hmm. movie. System. Interesting. And, uh, okay, but, uh, we had a good time. Good. Okay. It, it yeah. Good time. But they were. And they were, there was an interesting bunch. I mean, Steve was really dark. Yeah. Uh, Marty Wilson Piper was very pleasant, really sweet. Yeah. Uh, and Peter, what is Peter's last name? Big tall oh, Peter. Oh, I should know. Um, I'm blanking on it all of a sudden, too. God damn it. Yeah. And, and he was a sweetie, too. We had, we had a little word. I had a little couple words with him because he just wasn't playing. You know, they, mm -hmm. they weren't, you know, I, I, I've, I've played guitar my entire life. I know. Yeah. What a, how how I approached it, and and guys who started 
in this you know were born in the 60s or 70s you know it's a whole different approach mm-hmm. to the instrument now sure. and it's not at all what i know to be hey man mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you doing right you know play the fucking thing you know? <laughs> right. so we had our, our our moments of toughness you know in the studio but i thought we came out of it well okay and and milky way did, was a giant smash so that was made everyone yeah happy. Good, good. Yeah, I love them. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought to put the two of you together, but it worked. And it worked on the next album too, Gold Afternoon Fix. That's a good well, one Well, that's too. what I'm saying. On that, that's yeah. the one they came to me for that one. Yeah. And uh, and they didn't want Greg to do it. With. They, were, they were disgusted with Greg at that point, and they liked me. Okay. So I went, okay. So good. My, my engineer, Shep Lonsdale, and I did okay. that record with them. Good. Okay. Um, I've got one more oddity, but I'm going to save it till later. And, uh, and I'm curious. I didn't want to get all the weird stuff out in the beginning. Now, let's talk about, let's speaking of the beginning and you playing the guitar, let's go back to the beginning. One of the first things that I know of that you're credited on is the Everly Brothers album, Stories We Could Tell. And that album is so good. And it's so different from, you know, obviously we think of them as probably the most perfect harmonizers in yeah. music history. But this well, is more of like a blues rock band album. And I know Ry Cooter's on there. Where do you, like for instance, one of the, and I don't know if you even remember, but one of the highlights of that album is a song called Green River. And I'm curious if you even, are you on there? What are your memories of making this album? It had to be big for you. It was really big for me, but it was also uh, kind of a strange situation because I auditioned for the band, you oh. know, their touring band. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I met Warren. Warren Zevon was the band leader. Yeah, I had to that's right. for him. So we were, you know, we had a, a love-hate relationship uh-huh. going from day one. <laughs> speaking of but, crusty uh, people, by the way. Yeah, speaking of crusty mother, mothers. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, so, but during that audition, at one point, I, I had some kind of tiff with Warren about something, and uh, oh, I know what it was. He wanted me to. He, he says, "Well, you probably got the job." He resentfully <laughs> had to hire me because I knew all the tunes. I knew mm-hmm. every guitar part. I knew, you know, the Everly Brothers were like part of my life sure so i knew every moment of every song they played so and then warren said well you probably got the job but you're gonna have to shave that beard off <laughs> and uh and i at that point had was sporting this 
fucking big beard. And uh-huh. I, I said, what? I said, look, if Don Everly tells me I got to shave, I'm shaving right then. But you? No. And then I said, and by the way, where are the Everly Brothers anyway? Why aren't they here at this audition for their band? Right. And he goes, well, they're in the studio making their album. I went, oh, yeah? And you're here? What kind of musicians are we here, boys? I said, I'm a studio player. What are you guys? You know. Uh-huh. And so shortly after that, I guess the word got back to Don and Phil, and uh, they brought us in to play Warren. I think it was just Warren and I went in and played on now I don't remember Green River. I know that title. I can't remember the song. Oh, uh, okay. It's a very guitar but, heavy, and I think Rye does most of the work on that one. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Well, we but, went in on we played on John Sebastian's song, the uh, stories we could tell, hmm. which is the okay. title track. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Talking to myself again, wondering if this traveling is good. Is there something else to do and we'd be doing if we could? And all the stories we can tell. And if it all goes up and goes to hell, I can still see us sitting on a bed in some hotel, listening to stories we can tell Remember that guitar in a museum in Tennessee The name played on the glass brought back 20 melodies And the scratches on the face told of all the times he'd fell Singing every story he could tell And I'll bet you it still rings like a bell And I wish that we could sit back on a bed in some motel And listen to the stories it could tell And that's where I met John for the first time. And so we, yeah, so that's what we played on. I think that's the only tune we played on. Oh, but, interesting. But we performed some of those songs. We we did Chris's beautiful song that uh, that Walt sets on there. That's great. Uh, Casey, okay. something about Casey. Okay. So it, it, it was funny because I did an album with Christopherson years and years later. And so maybe that song wasn't on that record, but Everly's did that, did this one song of his. Mm. And, so we started doing going through this songs for Chris's album, and he starts playing this tune, and I'm like, I'm going like on, like an acid flashback. And I said, <laughs> Why do I know this song? And I said, right. What is it? Why did anyone ever record this? And he goes, The Everly Brothers said, Oh, okay, that's it. Uh, yeah. he did write the song Breakdown that's on that album. Maybe that's it. I don't. Know. I don't know. I okay. Check it out. Anyway, all right. Okay, so let's. You know, you mentioned Warren. Uh, we, of course, we got to talk about Warren. You co-wrote. Uh, Uh, Werewolves of London.
through the streets of Soho in the rain. He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fuchs. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. You better not let him in Little old lady got mutilated late last night Werewolves of London again That was the song that introduced me to Warren. That's, a, I think, probably the song that really kind of broke him out for a lot of people. Can you tell that me about the, the writing of that song? I sure can. I think that's the only song that broke him, True. period. True. We never had any success with anything else, yeah. except for his building up his beautiful following of people who understood how great he was. But yeah, yeah I just got back from London, and I just happened to stop by. It's a three-way ride on that, my friend Roy Marinell and Warren and myself, and the story goes like this. My friend Roy, about almost two years before we wrote Werewolves, had this lick. He came up with this lick, which is mm -hmm. the main lick that you know from the mm -hmm. song. Da, 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 yeah. da, da, da. And so he played me that one night, and I went, yeah, that's cool. And we tried for years to put it into a song. And mm. We just couldn't. We just couldn't. We couldn't find anything that uh, fit. And so cut two years later, and I stopped by Roy's house on my way into town, to go, I think I was going to work, uh, do a session for Linda or something, and I stopped by and Warren was at Roy's. He goes, oh man, it's great that you're here. Phil Everly called me last night, and uh, I just said Phil, because we mm -hmm. you know, first mm -hmm. name basis at that point. With all <laughs> right. He says, Phil called me last night, and he said he, he thinks we should write a song with the title Werewolves of London. Because huh. that's an old movie, you know, it's an old uh, English uh, horror movie. Okay. Werewolf, the Werewolf of London, it's an old movie. So when he as soon as he said it, like I said, I'd just gotten back from London. Yeah. So so I looked at Roy and I went, Where was the London? That's easy. Roy, play that fucking lick. <laughs> <laughs> and Roy started playing that lick and I just looked at right in Warren's eyes and I just went, You mean something like I saw a werewolf of the child? I spit out the whole first verse. Really? Yeah, yeah. No way. And then I said, And it's about a wolf, so we ought to be going, ah like that. He goes, Yeah, 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 yeah more. More, more. I said, more? No, I got to go. You do the rest. I got to go. <laughs> and uh, and that was it. So And then Roy and Warren wrote the rest of it up until the last line, which was the albatross of the record. Warren, we, he couldn't. It's not finished yet. It's not finished yet. Uh -huh. That fucking song's not finished yet. Um, <laughs> and we cut it. And it, it was a bitch to record it because we went through every band that we'd used. We tried everybody in town on it until we finally got Nick Fleetwood and John McVie. And Jorge Calderon, my dear so, brother, 
yeah. suggested. What about, because we tried everyone. It just sounded cute. It always sounded cute. Ah. And Warren and I were going, no fucking way. Uh-huh. No, it's not working. And Jackson was going, that's good. We're going, no, that ain't it. Not good enough. And when he said those guys, I went, oh, now they play heavy. Uh-huh. That, that could really work. So I called Nick and John, and they loved the idea. They came over immediately that night, and, and we, we, we played it all night long. We, <laughs> we went through about 60 takes, and after, and at take two, Jackson said to me, Wadi, that was pretty good. You want to hear it? I said, nah, Mick just, nah, let's keep going, keep going. And nah, we'll keep going. So at about six in the morning, after we've done about 60 takes, I looked at Jackson, and I went, Take two was good, wasn't it? He goes, yeah, you, you want to hear it now? I said, yeah, I want to hear it. I said, Mick, we're going to go listen now. He goes, all right, all right. Mm. And I looked at it. And, and during, the, during the tracking of the song, I was getting tired. And uh, I said, I think we're done. And Mick Fleetwood looks at me and goes, we're never done, Waddy. <laughs> and I just went, no, oh, right. we're not? Okay, fine, we're not done. <laughs> so we kept going for another hour or so. And, and finally, mm. when I heard take two, I looked at Mick and went, Mick, we're done. <laughs> We're done. That's it. That's the take. Oh, that's and, uh, great. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, that's a classic. A classic. Yeah. Um, what was Warren like to work with? I mean, you mentioned you loved him, but you hated him, and good and well, bad. Well, we just had a we had a very opinionated oh, version of ourselves in our own minds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so anybody who was infringing on that at all wasn't a welcome visitor. I mean, him more than me. He was a lot right. more defensive than I was you know we just argued about music a lot uh, yeah we okay. argued about a lot of music but we always agreed on Merle Haggard and we always agreed on the Stones and uh Ooh, nice. and, and Donald and Phil of course and and we had a ball I mean we we lived that year on the road with the Everly's we lived for the shows to end every night so we would be in the rooms together playing music all night oh, long man night. That and we had Phil been... and Don in the room with us yeah. all night long oh it's just you, magical to hear those voices in your hotel room. Yes, it was just something that you can't you can't imagine, nor could you ever recreate. You must have been losing your mind. I mean, you're this young guy oh, from was. from New York, and you move out to L.A. hoping to make it, and this is really your first thing. This is like what but pops your cherry. Road, I, I had already, like I said, I was doing sessions already. I yeah, started, I'd broken into the sessions, and I'd actually gone to this guy's house to talk about some upcoming sessions he wanted me to do with him, but he mentioned, oh, he says, you know, by the way, the Everly Brothers are looking for a guitar player. I went, stop. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I said, yeah. that's, that's my gig, man. I, where do I go? Because I, I, I'll get that job for sure. I know yeah. every tune. So there I am with the, with the Everly Brothers, uh, you Goodness. know, a few weeks later. And we didn't even see them until the first show. You know, we rehearsed mm -hmm. the set, and they don't come to rehearsal, and then we, there we met them at Knott's Berry Farm. And I was so nervous, and then they were so sweet. They were lovely, and 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 it was great. The, the set would end with this beautiful, beautiful song called Kentucky, mm. and and it was. And I was told before we went out, they said, "Now listen, when we finish the last song, just stand there, because they're going to sing this song called Kentucky, and and it ends when you hear my bass note at the end. I just hit one bass note with Don at the end of it, mm. and then we all walk off. I said, "Okay, sure, no problem, fine." So I'm standing there. They start singing this song. It's the most gorgeous thing I've ever heard in my life. Kentucky You are the dearest land 
Standing on the stage, knowing that I'm standing there playing for the Everly Brothers, and there yeah. they are yeah. singing this unbelievable song I'd never heard, yeah. and I saw so I was crying. I was like, I'm falling yeah. apart. And the bass note came, and they all started walking off, and I'm still standing there blubbering. Wow. And the bass player Greg goes, "Man, come on!" I said, "Oh yeah, right, right, sorry, right, right yeah." That's and, amazing. Uh, it was truly. Beautiful. That's yeah. when that's when it all begins. That's when it that's when you know that your hunch to kind of follow your dream has been validated. You know, yeah. not everyone yeah. gets that. You know this. I mean, L.A. especially is the land of dreams and broken dreams, and you're oh. one of the ones who succeeded. Uh, and, and uh, I see succeeded on that one, but yeah, yeah. On the other hand, I came out here with a band, and we I watched this manager I had ruin every deal we secured by by the band's music. And then he'd go in to make a deal and fucking blow the deals over and over. Oh, no. So the broken dreams were, you know, all I was on the boulevard of broken dreams myself. Yeah, good point. Quite a lot. Good point. You know, yeah. Even when you start doing sessions, you know, you do a few sessions and then you come home and if that phone ain't ringing, you know, you, you'll never work again as far as True. you're concerned. Good point. I still feel that way. Really? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But, yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, I was going to ask this near the end. I'm kind of for each one of you immediate family guys. I wanted to. No, I want to ask this question. Why is it that people call Wadi Wachtel? When for, you know, almost 50 years now, when you get that call, what is it that you, th what is it you think they are looking for that you're going to provide? Well, they're, gonna, they're looking for what I'll bring to their song. Right, um, and what is that? What do you think that is? Well, it, you know, it varies. I mean, it can be, you know, I've said this before to people. Our lives, uh, our musicians' life, is all about counterpoint. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Counterpoint is what we are, especially mm -hmm. if you are a lead instrument like myself. Then you are really in the world of counterpoint to the singer's melody. Mm -hmm. And it was always my job in my head to come up with, when he stopped singing, something be there that was mm -hmm. great. You know, something, some ear candy to get your ear would latch yeah. onto. Yeah. You go, oh, that's, what was that? That was cool. Then the guy sings some more, the girl sings some more. And there's always this interplay. There's always a, not an answer, but a, a melody to land on mm -hmm. when, the, when the singing stops. 
something should happen. Yeah. I figure, whether it's chordal or whether it's melodious or whatever. And yeah. So I always would do that. I could hear, I could just hear melodies in my head that would, that would suffice, that would work, do that job. And I would do that. And, and it was when I was started, people would tell you, don't play lead, don't improvise, you know, just mm. uh, play the chart, play the chords, and then we'll do the overdubs later. I'm going, yeah, okay. But I'm a more of a spontaneous musician sometimes, and when I'll hear something, I just got to do it. And so I would do that, and that became part of what I do. And so I started getting hired to bring that to sessions mm. for people. You know, mm -hmm. they knew I would... I would find something that right. would make the song a little more special. That, sound, you know? that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Aside from playing leads or, or, or rhythm, you know, I'm a yeah. I'm a dig in very strong rhythm player. As is Danny. We, you know, the two of us, the mm -hmm. monstrous rhythm section. But I would be, I get called to do a lot of solo work. You know, yeah. solos. Speaking of solos, I think one of the most enduring solos that you um, that has your name on it is the one from Mo Sherry. Yeah. Tell me about tell me about that. That I was hired by Nico Bolas, who produced it with Steve, who's mm -hmm. my dear dear brother, and uh, they wanted a rhythm part. They just needed. He said, "I need you to come play that your your eighth note rhythm on this thing. It really needs some rock and roll guitar under mm -hmm. it." So I went okay, and I went out there, and I, I think I'd met Steve a couple weeks before that. So it was just me and Nico, and I did my rhythm part, and it, it was good. It sounded really what they wanted, really strong, and right with the drums and everything. And and then uh, Nico says, okay, that's it, man. That's great, thanks. I went, what do you mean, thanks? Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> and I said, what about that empty spot there, you mm -hmm. know, the solo section? He goes, yeah, well, he's going to put a saxophone there. I said, no, he's not. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. No, he isn't. What, are you kidding? I said, no, he's, no saxophone? No, give me a track. I know what should go there. And it was that, like I said before, it was that I knew I knew what could go there. His melody played on guitar with the unisons the way I did it. And when Steve came in and heard it, he went crazy. He was, oh really? my God, that's fantastic. He said, forget the saxophone, huh? He goes, yeah, forget <laughs> it, man. No more. That's it. This wow. is great. He loved it. You know, and we, he and I doctored up the last couple notes of it together. Uh -huh. But basically, I, I threw it down the way you hear it. And uh, he went crazy when he heard it. So when you're playing rhythm, you're laying down the rhythm track. As you're doing that, you're thinking about, oh, you know what would be a really good 
solo is one that goes dun dun. You know, you you know what it does. Well, I was not really. I wasn't because I had no idea. I just had to concentrate and keep playing through that section. Okay. Okay. But when I got done, and I said, "Well, what do you mean? What 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 about the open section? What are you going to do there?" Uh, and then when he said no, you know, saxophone, I said, "No, no, no." And I just knew it right then when I said uh-huh. no. I said, "I know it should be. It should be his fucking melody." Yeah. You know. Yeah. But played nasty. Yeah, played nasty. That's it. That is exactly it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that thing's iconic. Okay. So let's talk about immediate family for a minute. I mean, you guys go way, 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 way back. I'm curious, when did your friendship with the, how did you get invited into this group? What was the introduction? Well, I mean, it's When I say group, I mean group of guys, not the immediate Oh, the group of guys. Well, you know, I I was the new boy in town. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, after kicking around a while, and also after reading those names on the back of records, yeah, you know, as as, as we all did, and I'm, but I'm sitting there going, you know, bass and drums, I could care less because they're not taking money out of my mouth. But right. who's this guy, Cooch? Yeah, who's who is this guy? Why is he getting all this work? Why can't I? Why can't I get on these records? Who is this fucking guy? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, and then I was working with uh, Keith Olson, mm. who just passed recently and Keith said uh, I I need you to play on this Bobby Womack session uh, this weekend I said okay great Mm. and Leland was on the date so that's where Lee and I met okay on a Bobby Womack session and I knew about the section so to speak you know I knew that Mm -hmm. it was Danny Russell and Leland and and Craig Dirty but you know I was just doing my thing and, and then Maybe a week or two later, or something like that. A couple weeks later, I was heading to SIR to do uh, some work with somebody, rehearse something, and out of the driveway came a '57 Chevy. I was also in a '57 Chevy, and the driver like pulled up to me, and we're blocking traffic on Santa Monica Boulevard. And it's <laughs> Russell. He looks at me. He goes, "Are you Waddy?" <laughs> and I went, "Yeah." He goes, "I said, are you Russ?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, "Oh man, it's great to meet you." He goes, "He says I gotta go, but we're gonna be seeing a lot of each other, man." <laughs> I said, oh, yeah? Okay, good. And then shortly after that, I was working with a, a great producer named Nick Vinay, who's also passed away now. Mm-hmm. And, and Nick, at one point, took me aside and said, uh, he, was, he was using me a lot on a lot of folk dates and things mm-hmm. like that. He took mm-hmm. me aside and said, it's time for you to move on, Waddy. And I thought he meant no, I was being fired, which I was like, what? What did mm-hmm. I do? What's the matter? Mm-hmm. He goes, no, mm-hmm. no, no, man. It's time for you to move on from what we're doing here. He says, mm-hmm. you're better than what we're doing here. And uh, there's this new piano player in town named David Foster. Mm-hmm. I've invited him down tomorrow night. I want you to bring bring your electric rig and everything. Because I've been just playing acoustic on these folk dates for yeah. days and weeks. He says, bring your electric stuff. I want him to hear you play electric. I want him to hear you play slide. And uh, it's, he, he, he needs to hear you do what you do. Mm-hmm. So we had a great night. And a few nights later, I got a call from Lou Adler's office saying they wanted me to come play on a record for Tim Curry, Lou producing. Yes. You played on that? Yeah, that's where where I met Danny. That's where Danny and I met. Really? I love those Tim Curry records. Working on my 
Oh, yeah, I do. I didn't know you were on those. That's well, that's, I'm on one. I'm on okay. one. Okay. Just one. Uh, what, what, I don't know how many Lou produced for Tim, but whatever. I'll go look it up. I don't even remember yeah, off the top of the my one head. Lou that's produced. wild. Okay. And that's where Danny and I met, and we were both we loved each other immediately. Anyway, mm-hmm. and then uh, and they said it was a reggae tune, and I freaked out, and so did Danny because we were both crazy in love with reggae. We mm-hmm. were both mystified and mesmerized by. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, the harder they come. Oh yes, Jimmy Cliff. Yeah. Yeah. So we were lost in that music. So when mm-hmm. they said reggae, Danny and I both went, "Oh, we're in. we're ready." You know, yeah. we both knew what to do, and so that's how we all got together. And then we did a lot of work together, all of us. I mean, you know, they're, they're on the records I produced. I'm yeah. on the records Danny produced. Yeah. And and in between, we're all on a million records together in some fashion or not. You know, mm-hmm. I saw Russell in the morning on a, on a day, one day, did a session with Russ, then went to another session, and then that night, Russ and I met up again at Stevie Nicks' first uh, solo album. You know, mm-hmm. things were very busy back then. Yeah, I bet. We were always, always with one or the other. And then a little while later, you know, they had the section going, and they called me and said, hey man, would you, why don't you come down and come play with us? We want. We want. We were thinking you, you should come join the band. You know. Mm-hmm. And, oh, how well, that's cool. Thanks, guys. And so I went down there and and played. And but you know the section. I don't know if you knew what they did, but it was kind of like you know jazzy stuff. You know, yeah. instrumental, very instrumental, very very fast noted jazzy stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, that's not me. I mean, I grew up yeah. playing jazz, and I thought I was going to be a jazz guitar player, and then realized mm, no, that's not, <laughs> not your thing. Know. Okay. Uh-huh. It's not your thing, you realized? Well, I realized that songs and singing and rock and roll were much more important yeah. to me. Yeah. So I went and played, and we had a good time, and they said, we'd like you to join. And I said, you know what? I love you guys, and you've played on more hit records than anybody in this town, but mm-hmm. you want to do this kind of music, yeah. and I can't do this. I said, but if you ever... <laughs> and this is the best part. So if you guys ever change your minds and want to do like songs, you know, with vocals mm-hmm. and things, I'm ready. So now, 40 years later, that's what we're doing. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah. yeah, so why, like, why now? Why is the time, and it's funny, I was just going to say, why is the timing good now? But the timing isn't good actu- in actuality for anyone. With well, it was good. Corona, when but it started. was, yes. Yeah. So why now? the timing now? is good now because we did Danny's solo album. Uh, for Japan, and when we got done tracking, Danny goes, well, I can't do this without you guys uh-huh, now. Uh-huh. I can't put some shit band together and go play what you guys just did. <laughs> We're so great together. Yeah. Well, let's make it a band, and we all went, yeah, okay. 
Let's Good. make it a band. Why not? I, I was going to tell you, a, a couple friends of mine have seen you guys in concert in L.A. before, I'm in Denver, but they saw you in L.A. before everything started to go down and just were singing your praises. Apparently, these shows are incredible. So oh, I okay. really cannot wait for things. To, hopefully, they get back to some semblance of normal so you guys can tour and hopefully oh. pass through Denver so I can be there. I'm dying to see this thing, you know? I hope so, too, man. I hope so, too. I believe it. Can't wow. believe it. Yeah. Left turn that the world made. No it's kidding, it's so weird. Unbelievable. So weird. Um, okay, let's talk about Stevie because uh, that's you know maybe I don't know maybe that's your most fruitful, one of the long-standing relationships anyway. Uh, I want to I want to ask specifically about a couple of tracks. We have to talk about the Edge of Seventeen. That driving guitar work. First of all, I assume that's you. Yeah. And secondly, who's I? I mean, who thought of that? When she writes this song, and you, I don't know if you're getting like sheet music, or she comes no. to you and she says, I have an idea for a song. These are the words. Are you thinking, you know what this really needs? Maybe the most driving rock guitar riff in the history <laughs> of rock and roll. Tell me how this comes to be. Well, a lot of times Stevie will, she'll hear a song she likes, and it'll strike an idea in her head. And so she doesn't steal the song, but she'll base she just feels the accompaniment that she can put lyrics to. So she'll write, she'll use uh, someone else's song as a mm. vehicle sometimes. Mm -hmm. she'll write, you know, of course she writes originally beautifully, uh, purely, but a lot of times she'll hear something like, she'll tell the story about, what is it, Little Red Corvette is Stand mm. Back, you know? Yes, good point, yes. Yeah, so it's like that. So with that song, with, with Edge, she had heard... Is it Bring It On The Night or something like this? a police tune on the mm. first police album that has Ooh. that feel to it. Okay. has that drum feel. But Andy Summers is doing that that rolling sound, that rolling guitar thing, but he's doing it with echoes. Yeah. Uh, so it's all like, you know, process sounding, and it's all echoey and stuff, but it's the same feel. Uh-huh. And when they played it for us in the studio with, with her lyric on top of it, so you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't really hear... The original song anymore you know yeah. you just kind of feel the rhythm that she's working off of and what she's written to it so when they played it for us i said well okay fine but i ain't doing it like that mm. and jimmy ivy said what do you mean i said i ain't gonna i don't use echoes and shit like that i said mm -hmm. i'm gonna just play it mm -hmm. said, what do you mean play it i said i'm just gonna play it and i just went to my amp and turned it up and started showing him what i meant take it take it take it take it i said like yeah. that yeah make it strong you know, so that's how that came about, and oh, uh, Russell Russell's playing the drums, and yeah, Bobby Glob playing bass. And so Ed good. Mono. Now, like for instance, the ooze and the ooh baby ooze and all that. Yeah, like is that this? That's it, all does, Stevie, right? But I mean, it, when she hears your guitar playing, is that what inspires little pit, sprinkles? No, of I think she had. I think she had that in mind already. Okay, okay. It's like it's like you know, she'll hear it. The way yeah. she wants. And okay. I think she had that. I'm pretty sure the ooze were built in already. Okay. You know? Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's just, that's one of the greatest licks ever recorded. And it's yours. <laughs> and uh, I just wondered what the story in the cre of the creation of that song would be. Um, when you look back on your time with Stevie specifically, is there a right. moment on any one of these albums that we've talked about that you're particularly proud of? Maybe it's Edge of Seventeen, but something where you're like, you know what? I came up with this part, and I think it really elevated the song. And it could be a, it could be one we don't even know that well. What are one? Of, what's a moment like that? 
Well, the Edge definitely Edge fits is it. that role. Yeah. Um, aside from that, um, there's a nice little solo in Stand Back too. I mean, it's a synth heavy song. Oh, that's, that's not, not you. Me. Okay. No, no, no. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> Stand Back. Prince plays the the rolling part on that. It's yeah. The, basically, mm-hmm. the Waddy guitar part from Oh, I Edge. Know played the guitar too. Okay. No, no, no. But he's playing it on synth. But it's the oh, right, 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 right. Yes. Because when I heard the the record, I went, "Wait a minute, that's my fucking part." That's true. I said, "What's that?" And Stevie goes, "That's Prince." I went, "Oh shit! All right, play him." And and I got a call from Jimmy at like four in the three and two or three or four in the morning. I was working with Warren. And he goes, can you come over here and overdub on, on this song, Stand Back, for us? And I went, uh, yeah, sure, okay. And went there, and and Jimmy had some, like, ideas, you know, rhythmic ideas. And I, I first of all, it was in the middle of the night, so I uh-huh. wasn't in a real receptive mood anyway. Right. And I'd just been with Warren all day, so uh-huh. that colors your mood a little more. Right. <laughs> so I just went, uh, no, I don't want to do that. And he goes, what? I said, no. I said, there's plenty of rhythm on there already. Yeah. And okay. they had that solo, that little disco kind of solo yeah. on it already. Yeah. So I went, you know what, I'm just going to, I know what to do. And I do those little, that sound you hear, it goes, damn. Uh-huh. You know, that's me. That's you. you. Know? Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's it. And, oh, and again, wow. that's like one of those things that I was telling you about with the thinking counterpoint about yeah. what to do when the singing stops. Yep. And no one knows how it was, damn. Da, 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 da. Perfect. You know, so that's, that's what I contributed to that. And, but on stage, I mean, we drive the shit out of it. So yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I wind up doing some of the downstairs. Awesome. Okay. On the record, on, that's what I added to that record because I couldn't. Everything else was taken already. Yeah. You know, all the spots were already filmed. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. That's a great track. Um, okay, let me throw a few of these other collaborations out at you. One is I got to hear about Iggy Pop and Brick by Brick. I mean, are you playing the lead guitar like on Candy? Yeah. Big city. Jesus, been 20 years. Candy. You were so fine. Yeah, I think so. That's yeah. all you. Oh, my gosh. Well, what was that like? Lead, really, it's not even a lead, is it really? It's well, kind of no, like... but there's kind of like a, another sort of like a driving, almost acoustic-y guitar riff going on. But the but then when it kicks into the solo or to the uh, chorus, it picks yeah, up and kind of rocks yeah. out. That's you. Yeah, yeah that's me. Yeah. 
What was it like working with Iggy? That had to he be kind great. of a different thing for you. Well, you know, uh, you know, when you do sessions, it's a job of work. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. you go in, you meet the artist. I'd met Iggy before a long, long time ago, so we kind of knew each other. But, okay. uh, you know, you just go do your job and you hope you do a good job for whoever it is you're working for. And, yeah. But it was great stuff. The music was <laughs> was terrific. Mm-hmm. And he was wonderful and his live vocals were great. And it was Charlie Drayton and Kenny. Charlie, you know, Charlie Drayton mm-hmm. and I are brothers from the Winos. And mm-hmm. and then Kenny, Kenny Arnoff is a dear, dear, longtime friend of mine. He's great, too. So it was it was a great experience. We did a lot of great tunes very quickly too. Good. And uh, Candy was definitely the standout tune. But there was there were several good ones on there. Oh yeah, so, Home. Yeah. That's a really driving rock and roll song. Yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, that's you too, right? Yeah, yeah, killer, killer stuff. Um, What about Kenny Rogers? Love will turn you around. You can run, you can hide, never let it inside. Keep living your life in the dark. Sooner or later, that gentle persuader is gonna catch up with your heart, make you a dreamer. Believe. Just what he needs. Life will deliver a shot that will shiver him, driving him down to his knees. Make him start giving, living, living again. Let your mind that tricks you into leaving every time. She reaches for you and you 
Kenny, uh, I think I played on one song. Is that just one song you're talking about? Is that yeah, yeah, no, that's the song, and it was in the song. movie Six Pack. It's, oh, is that right? Okay, yeah, yeah. it's one of his yeah. very best. But I saw that somewhere was, uh, that you he, played on that. He was wonderful. I mean, I again, it was another one of those. Uh, <laughs> I'd been in the studio all day. Yeah, probably with Warren, I think, or maybe not with Warren, but someone. And and I was getting ready to leave, and I got hired to play on this session for Kenny Rogers. I went, oh, oh wow. okay, sure. And then it got to be <laughs> there was a, something broke down or something in the session, and or one of the synthesizers wasn't firing correctly or some kind of stuff that made everything come to a halt. And we just sat around for hours and hours. And oh, hours. no. That's the and worst. I, got, I was in a really bitter, drunken mood probably by the time <laughs> we cut the track. But Kenny was very sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember much of it because okay. of that. I just remember okay. sitting around being in a bad mood <laughs> and, and yeah. uh, <laughs> okay. yelling at people. That's a that's a such a beautiful he, he song. Maybe his good. very best. He was great to be with in the studio. Good. Okay. Okay. What about Betty Davis Eyes? That's you. Yeah. Well, that's me playing that the eighth note rhythm. All yes. Through it. Yeah. yeah. Her hair is hollow gold. Her lips sweet surprise. Her hands are never cold. She's got Betty Davis eyes. She'll turn her music on you. You won't have to think twice. She's pure as New York snow. She got Betty Davis eyes. And she tease you. She'll unease you. That's another one of those I've been working all day. Same studio, by the way, as the Kenny Rogers tune. Because that studio, that was record one, and I would stop by record one on my way home from working in town, Hollywood and everything, and I'd usually stop there, get a drink or something, have a drink before uh-huh. I go home. So I stopped in record one, go to my favorite bar, get a beer, and Val Garay, the producer, saw me and goes, oh man, I can't believe you're here. He goes, we gotta, I, I'm cutting this track, and Josh Leo, who is... Uh, now a very famous producer in Nashville uh-huh. was a session guitar player then and he was sick and he couldn't be there so they needed a, a, someone to play rhythm and I just went oh man I don't want to work <laughs> it's just uh-huh. been working all day I don't want let me hear the tune so he played me the song and went well, well that's amazing <laughs> so yeah okay yeah. I'll play on that I know what to do on that yeah. and uh, so I just play eighth notes all through it and then okay. that that sound you hear at the end is like it sounds like a dog barking kind yeah. of uh that's my hands on the neck and yeah. uh, just going roo, roo, roo. yes but, yeah uh, it's subtle the guitar on that song is subtle but yeah. it uh, it elevates it just like everything else it carries else. it through yes. but it was so and what was so wild was everything on that is live every sound really? every moment of it you hear is live Kim's vocal is live everything about it was a, it was a live performance yeah and when we did that track we got up to come into the booth and listen to it I grabbed Val I said I gotta tell you something I think this is a fucking smash, man. Really? This is a gigantic smash. Yeah. 
And it was. You nailed it. You nailed it. Okay, let's bring up that that weird oddity that I mentioned earlier. It's time. It's time to talk about the soundtrack to the movie Satisfaction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, even before I knew I was going to talk to you, I just happened to listen to the CD of that a few days ago. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, and uh, it happened to be in my car. And I was listening to it and I was like, Boy, this th- this thing is really odd. And then I found out I was talking to you, and I was like, "Great, let's ask Wadi all about it." Um, <laughs> t- tell me. Well, I, I was only involved in the one song. Was it the the uh, satisfaction, the main song? Yeah, at the end of the movie, I think they play it or something yeah. like that. Okay. Uh, I could never watch that whole movie, so it's but, not uh, very good. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. But, know, I thought you produced the whole thing. No, just no, your, no, no. I think one. Steve Cropper produced it. Really. Oh, you're right. You're right. He did. Right. Yes. But yeah. they called me to do Jim. Jim Shea hmm. uh, was also one of the producers on that, and called me. He said, "We need Wadi to get satisfaction down the right way." So they did they called me and I recorded it with uh, Jeff Picaro and uh-huh. I think his brother Mike and probably his brother Steve too because yeah. I noticed as I was listening to the record over and over to get I said wow there's a piano buried in there <laughs> holy shit there's an acoustic in there there's a piano in there I never noticed those things are in that record that's funny wow okay so we put all those elements into it and uh, we did a good track you know yeah. Charlie uh, Charlie Sexton yeah Charlie Sexton yeah. yeah so it was they put Charlie Sexton and I together Ooh. to do the song and also to uh, to coach the girls on how to look like a rock and roll band. <laughs> you know, that's that was his, his and my job. We had to go down uh, and watch them trying to rehearse, and we're getting them to stand, right? Julia Roberts was one of the chicks, yeah, too. Yeah, she sure was, yeah. You know, that was her first gig, I think. And uh-huh. uh, So we were just down there trying to make them look like musicians. I'm going, this is impossible. <laughs> this is not, not working, but... And the drag was that, you know, we did the good track. The track is really good, but it her is. vocal is like, yeah. and I don't want to, you know, I don't know. How I know. To She's not a singer. Out. We'll just say that. Uh, She's not, not a singer. singer. They, they had put together, they had met, constructed this vocal, harmonized it and pitched it and rhythm, everything, but it wasn't great, you know. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, she, I think she would say that. And, uh, and I was going to say, while you're recording, like, is she, she's not in the room singing with you guys. Are you guys no, creating the sound the track, bad? No, okay, we cut the track on our own. Yeah. Okay. We cut the track on our own. And then I didn't, I don't remember me finishing that record. I, think okay. I just asked to put, get the band done. Okay. I don't, I don't remember me having to sit there and get the vocal. 
I had it bad for Justine Bateman back in the 80s. And so I paid to see that movie in the theater and I was so <laughs> disappointed. But the music was pretty good. And uh, good. yeah, and I got the sa the soundtrack on CD recently. One of my listeners mailed it to me. And um, anyway, so I was just listening to that again recently. That's funny. Yeah, um, I think I, I met her there at the studio. She was very nice. Everybody, you know, everybody was good. That's the thing, you know, most people in the studio, you meet these people that, have all these reputations and they're just people you know yeah. they're, they're love, they're wonderful very yeah. most of them are very down to earth good there's a few uh fuckos but you know <laughs> <laughs> like myself but, <laughs> i uh, doubt that <laughs> like oh, myself great. and danny and russ and lee but, <laughs> well that's why uh, you're all in a band together now yeah, exactly sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay let's go from satisfaction to talking about the keith richards album especially talk is cheap i mean that is the greatest rolling stones album that they never made you know, yeah. and you're yeah. on there, right? Yeah, yeah, you're on there. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Keith, Keith called me and said I'm putting a band together and you're in it. I went, okay, <laughs> that's what you want to hear uh, when you're a guitar player. Yeah. He says, yeah, there's no auditions. You're it. You're the other guitar. And you player. two already knew each other, or what? I met Keith when I was on the road with Linda. We we played a, a run at the amphitheater here in L.A. and I met Mick and Woody, mm -hmm. and then with Linda we went to Europe. And when we played this theater, the Old Vic, I think it's called, or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, after the show, downstairs, there's Keith Richards. I went, whoa, yeah. whoa, uh -huh. a Rolling Stone, look at that. Uh -huh. I was like uh, blown away. And uh, and we got along right away. Good. And wound up spending a bunch of days together um, on that run. We spent like three days and nights together, really, wow. just listening to music all night and talking and Smoking cigarettes, doing drugs, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> drinking our brains out. Yeah, that. You know, but uh, yeah. covered a lot of musical territory, a lot of ground, and yeah, and got to be got to be good friends uh, in those couple of days, and then then I saw him again now and then here and there, and and then I got that call. I got this call from some lawyer one day saying, "Hi, Woody, I'm uh, I represent Keith Richards, and uh, he's looking for you." I went, "Oh yeah." Well, why don't you give him my number if he's looking for me? You, you know where I am. And he goes, well, 
Uh, he said, <laughs> he said, Larrabee Studios. Do you know of it? I went, yeah, sure. He goes, he's there because they were putting the Chuck Berry movie together. Uh-huh. And he said, so would you call him over there? I said, yeah, sure. So I called him, and that's when he said, well, hey, man, how are you? He says, listen, <laughs> I'm putting a band together, and you're in it. No way. He says, where are you? I said, I'm home. He says, can you come by? I said, sure, man. So I went by, and he and Steve were there, and, and uh, Trevor. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Hackford, excuse me. Taylor, Taylor Hackford, right. And Ellen was there, too. And they were just putting the soundtrack together. But, you know, we had a little hug fest for a minute and uh-huh. uh, welcome to the band kind of rap. And Gosh. Then shortly after that, Ivan was selected to be in the band and, Char- and Steve brought Charlie in. And they uh, brought me into New York to hear. What, I said, I want to know, what, what, what are we doing? What are we yeah. going to do? So I came in and they played me Take It So Hard. And I went, we get to do this? Uh-huh. I said, okay, well, I'm ready. I know yeah. what to do on this. Yeah. And uh, played me a couple of other things, Struggle, and a couple of other little pieces that well, things weren't all finished yet and stuff like that. Take It to Hard was pretty much complete, although mm-hmm. the melody that was on it was completely different than what oh, wound up being on it. Really? It was a lot simpler. It was a lot, a lot more normal sounding, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what Keith wanted to get away from after mm-hmm. 40 years of writing the most commercial songs in the world. Yeah. He wanted to get a, a little more artistic with the melodies and stuff Interesting. like that. Interesting. Okay. And it, it threw me. It really threw me at first. When I, because when I left, after we tracked everything in, in in Canada, and I knew how things went, I at one point I said to his manager Jay, and I said, "Can I come in there? I know they're supposed to be finishing up the record, but I want to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I got to hear what's happening." Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Well, it's you know, it's they're producing it, Wally. It's their call." I said, "Well, ask them if I can come in." Mm-hmm. So they did. She asked them, and they said, "Yeah, yeah, have Wadi come in." So I came in, and when when he played me "Take It So Hard," with this, the melody was so abstractly different than mm-hmm. what I went away with in my head. I grabbed Steve. I said, "Is this your doing? Mm-hmm. Did you fucking do this or what?" He goes, "Me?" He says, "Are you kidding me? No, it's all him, man. That's what he wants." I said, "Like that?" Whoa. Okay, I got to learn this. Uh huh. And uh, I kept listening and listening to that. And finally, I said, L- I'll put the vocal together. Let me put the vocal together. You know, you, you comp vocals. If you know what that is? Yeah, right. Yeah. So I said, I'll do the comp. Let me do the vocal comp. And uh, I did it. And Keith heard it back, and he just flipped. He goes, how did you find well, How did you no do way. that? I said, I didn't do it. You did. I just found <laughs> what you did. And picked, picked, the, That's picked incredible. the bits from what yeah. you did. And he loved it. So we became even tighter that way. Yeah. And when I left... I had to go home for a few days, and, and when I got here, when I got up, back to L.A., the phone was ringing. Cause he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead, take your time, don't, don't worry about it. And I got, I got to my house, the phone was ringing, and he goes, get back here. <laughs> I went, what? I just got here. He goes, you got to get back here. <laughs> I said, all right, well, I just got to sign this agreement for this house I'm buying. Uh-huh. I'll be on the plane uh, tomorrow night. He goes, good, get back here. So the three of us dug in together, and I got a production consultant credit on that album oh nice okay and then, um, and then they said um, the, the three of us produced the next record together okay oh yeah, yeah. uh main offender right yeah main yeah offender, yeah, yeah. Uh, like i was saying that talk is cheap album is probably the best stones album that yeah. they didn't make it is i perfect. think everyone thinks i think yeah. everyone thinks so yeah uh it really was fantastic yeah and and that band performing live i've i've had the fortune i've had the good fortune you know, to play with who I've played with, mm-hmm. 
uh, all the records I've been able to do, Knockwood and everything, and that's incredible on its own. But the fact that I get to be in the expensive winos and now the immediate family, yeah. the two of the best motherfucking bands no ever in your life, yeah. is like the pinnacle of it all. Yeah. You know, to follow, and Keith came to the Iridium when we played there, and he loved it. And really? Yeah, and they said, they told me before we did the show that they had to leave during the halfway during the show, they're going to have to leave. I said, fine, I'm just delighted. I can't believe you came. I'm so yeah. happy you came. They stayed through the encore. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. And they were just loving it. And uh, it was really just wonderful to have that. That's chair. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. You know what? Going back to that, did you, uh, with as much as you've seen and done in your career, and maybe this is the moment, but was did you meet... I don't know who your personal musical heroes are. Maybe it was the Everlys, whatever. But was there a moment that you can share where it was like, no, I my favorite ever is this person and he walked in the room or I got to play on... What are one of those... What's a story like that, Wadi? Well, it's hard. It's rough. That's hard. But okay. I mean, when I wanted to... When I was moving to Los Angeles, I wanted to meet um, Brian Wilson. Oh, That's yeah. who I wanted to meet. Yeah. he was was and is the only genius of our generation, yeah. Yeah. I believe. And yeah. and also Dave Crosby was making a lot of mm. sense then. He was mm -hmm. it was like, you know, I'm talking about nineteen sixty eight and mm -hmm. uh, he was very outspoken about political wrongness and shit like that. Mm -hmm. So and not that I cared about that, but he was like a spokesman kind of for yeah. our people. So I wanted to meet him too. And I get out here and three nights after we landed here that we're sitting in a restaurant, and there's David Crosby sitting like three tables away from me. I'm going, mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. this is insane. So I went and introduced myself, made a fool of myself, introduced myself to him. And mm -hmm. he, and he came over and heard the band, and he and I became good pals. And nice. Met Graham, you know, we met everybody through them. Yeah. Through, through Dave, met Stephen and Graham. And, but, and then I wound up meeting Brian. Uh, I, I met a guy who was his right-hand man, uh, yeah. his liaison guy. And he wasn't working with Brian anymore, but they were still very friendly. And this guy was, he was a very New York Jew-looking, although mm. he wasn't. He, you know, I said, are we related or something? What? Uh -huh. Where are you from California? You don't look California. And he goes, yeah. I'm from <laughs> so I wound up living with this guy, and, and but he took me up to Brian's. So I met Brian. Mm. And, and then over the years, because I was living with this guy named Arnie, Arnie Geller, a wonderful friend of mine. Uh, Brian, every now and then, would stop by there. So we we wound up spending lots of time together. No way. And lots of great time, sitting around, listening to records, talking about music, sitting at the piano, him showing me things he wants to do. and Amazing. Mm. So those, those moments. That's the moment, yeah. That was those. And then there's, you know, like Everly's and, mm -hmm. you know, Dolly Parton. There's um, yeah. Dolly Parton. And I can't believe it. You know, I'm yeah. so in love with her. From the first time I heard her open her mouth and sing, I mm -hmm. fell apart. Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in the studio with Linda Ronstadt, Dolly Parton, myself, and this beautiful guitar player named Mike Aldrich, who's passed away now, mm -hmm. and doing these gorgeous records and and meeting Linda. You know, just meeting. You know, just the list goes on, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's what been a charmed a, life. A blinding experience yeah um, i believe it okay just a couple more are you you gotta tell me how you became like the musical director for adam sandler <laughs> that's an oddity too you know yeah yeah 
strange. Uh, well, I was the musical director for Amon is not the parties, you know. The, okay. You know, okay. Uh, I mean, I was, but I'm a composer. I worked composer for him on some films. But I, I got the job with Adam. As a matter of fact, Leland, Lee, and I were in Japan. Russell and Lee and I were in Japan on a working with a Japanese artist, and Leland got the call from Brooks Arthur, who was Adam's producer, to come play on this record. And we were both going, oh man, comedy music, great, oh, wonderful. What's happened to our lives? You know, this is this is mm -hmm. what we get now. Mm -hmm. So we get back to town, and all of a sudden I get a call from Brooks Arthur mm -hmm. saying, hey, Wadi, uh, listen, uh, G.E. Smith, who normally does Adam's records, uh, is missing. We can't find him. Mm -hmm. So would you consider doing an arrangement or two for Adam? And then I'm thinking, oh, my big mouth with the comedy rack, you know, the comedy <laughs> right. music remark. I'm like, oh, God. Right. Um, hey, yeah, sure, okay. So I go down to meet them, and he's doing a, a quick demo of this tune he wants me to do with them, and it's a reggae. Mm. So I went, well, let me tell you, <laughs> mm -hmm. you picked the right guy, because uh, right. I eat reggae music for breakfast. Right. Uh, so then it was hysterical. It's that song called Piece of Shit Car, or yes. Ode to My Car, I think it's called. It came out of me. Piece of shit car. I got a piece of shit car. That fucking pile of shit never gets me very far. My car's a big piece of shit. Cause these shocks are fucking shot Well, my seatbelt's fucking broken I got to tie it in a knot It's a piece of shit I can't see through the windshield Cause it's got a big fucking crack Then the interior smells real bad Cause my friend puked in the back It's a piece of shit Piece of shit but it's hilarious and filthy and just funny as hell yeah so i said yeah sure so i put it together that and there was a song called baked Sitting in my chair, watching the TV. It's not even on, but there's plenty for me to see. I just lit some crazy ass shit that my friend overnight mailed to me. I'm fucking wasted. It's the best shit I ever tasted I think they fucking laced it Cause I'm so damn lambasted Well my friend came over So I packed him a pipe Told him he better go easy with this shit, but he didn't believe the hype. Okay. Uh, and so those are the two, two songs on that record. So I arranged them, and 
played on him and got the band, put the band together and uh, got Jim Keldon to play the drums. And Crazy. Bobby Glob, I wrote the bass part after Bob and, and Jim Cox fabulous keyboard player it's just crazy and that all of the greatest session musicians ever are playing on adam sandler albums yeah 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 you know i know, I know it's wild it is it's very wild and and so uh -huh. from that we went to uh adam did uh if you remember he did a little tour mm -hmm. we, we did a, a a little summer tour and it was great and so i was basically there so i was musical director for that i was split the job with uh uh teddy Castellucci was the other guitar player, and, and Teddy is a real brilliant musician. So, and he was like basically the band leader up until I got there. And then when I got there, things had to be because they wanted it to be rock and roll. I said, "Well, you got to listen to me then if you want mm -hmm. this to play rock and roll." Mm -hmm. So, so I got into that seat with Adam and stayed there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then we did a bunch of movies for him, and, and then the parties began. His annual Christmas party. Wow. which we did 10 of, oh, man. and I was the band leader for that, and each one of them had a, an array of great artists sitting I in. I bet. And, and each year it got longer and longer. The last time we did it, it was almost four hours long. Oh! I mean, we were, we, 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 and we'd go to eat after it and just be sitting there crying. My feet hurt so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and we were just exhausted from it. And, oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, Adam. Okay. Uh, he's the greatest. Interesting. Wow. So here's the deal. I've been talking to all of you guys, and so many of you have worked on some of the same albums or with some of the same people. So, like, I don't need all four of you to tell me about James Taylor or Linda Ronstadt or whatever. So I'm kind of parsing it out. But one guy I'm really curious about and have always been curious about is Andrew Gold. And you played on some Andrew Gold records, and especially, is it All This in Heaven too? I love that album. And I'm curious what you can tell me about Andrew Gold, because I'm trying to figure out why he just sort of disappeared in the early 80s. Do you know? Well, he, you know, when I met Andrew, he was one of the first people I met, really. I wasn't really even really working yet. Mm. And I met, like I said, I mentioned Roy Marinell. Roy Marinell was like the first cat that I met out here that wasn't someone I was looking to meet or, you know, mm -hmm. came out with or stuff like that. And he was, you know, a good musician and, you know, a good songwriter and a good cat. And he knew... Andrew, he knew Kenny Edwards and Andrew Gold, a couple of other people that were in that circle. Mm -hmm. And when, I, but when I met Andrew, see, I, I'm the type of musician that, what I do is I learn everything about a song. Mm -hmm. I know all the vocal parts. I know all the Beach Boy vocal parts on a Beach mm -hmm. Boy song. I know the chords. I know the bass parts. I know all the stuff in them. And I didn't know anyone else that did that until I met Andrew. And I went, whoa, this guy is the same as me. He's a yeah. freak like I am. He knows all the stuff. He knows all the parts. So we got along really well. And then he, you know, he was the leader of Linda's band. Mm -hmm. And that went fine. And then he, one day, he played Lonely Boy for Kenny mm -hmm. Edwards and myself. Mm -hmm. He says, Let me, I want to play you guys this song. And it was this new song he'd written, but it was a slow, it was like a ballad. Oh. You know, and we're yeah. looking at each other, going, what? And when he got done singing it, I went, you ever think of doing it fast? Uh-huh. And he went, what? I said, make it a fast song. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah. But what if it had a beat to it. And Kenny said, yeah. Or, or Kenny might have been the one to say it first, but I think I think it was me. I said, shouldn't it be a fast song? And So he sped it up and tried. He goes, whoa. You know, I think you're right. That's pretty huh. good. He was born on a summer day 
so then we went in and we and we had been opening for Linda on the road. Andrew Andrew was the opening act, so yeah. we would play his show and then Linda's show. So we were so good, we were ready to do Lonely. When we came back off the road, that band knew Lonely Boy. So we went in the studio and we cut it, you know, right oh, away. Wow. And uh, live solo, my solo's live on it. And uh, that's one of those, you know, another. Amazing. Peter's version of the studio was live. Yeah. Uh, Linda's vocals on Blue Bayou, James on his song, they're live vocals. They're, they're Interesting. The real vocals. Interesting. Yeah. So, so Andrew, we did that and then, and that album had, you know, had Lonely Boy, had legs like crazy. And then mm -hmm. the next record, is that the next record you're talking about? I don't know. Uh, no, All This in Heaven 2 is the one with Lonely Boy. I, wait, no, 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 no. All This in Heaven 2 is the one with Thank You for Being a Friend. Right, And then okay, he made so one more, like, Whirlwind, I think, from 1980. I don't know. And then that was but, it. So okay. the second album, the one with Thank You. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. I'm not ashamed to say. I hope it always will stay this way. My hat is off. Won't you stand up and take a bow? We got in the studio and we did some tunes for it and we did thank you for being a friend and i'm sitting there going i hate this fucking tune really <laughs> yeah i didn't like it I, didn't, I just didn't like it i mean it's well written and stuff uh -huh. but you know it yeah. i just didn't like it and and it didn't go anywhere it yeah. did absolutely nothing right and then this assistant director for the show golden girls mm -hmm. just stumbled upon it and said hey how about this tune for the main title mm -hmm. <laughs> that's how these things happen that's you know? it yeah Publishers don't get you jobs. Yeah. You know, song runners don't get songs placed. Yeah. Someone hears it and goes, "Hey, man, that's pretty good." Like in in uh, Adam's movie, The Water Boy, mm -hmm. there's a song in it that Joe Walsh sings that he and I wrote together. And I I went to Adam's house to play him some cues that were on the other side of this cassette, and I put the wrong side in, and he heard this <laughs> reggae, and he goes, "Wow, what's that?" I said, oh, that's the wrong thing. He said, let me hear that. He said, that's good. He says, could you finish that for the movie? Uh, and he says, you know, it could maybe, and he, I, either one of us mentioned Joe, so I got Joe, and Joe sang the shit out of it, and we, wow. it's in the movie. Same with my friend Stephen Picaro wrote uh, Human Nature, Michael Jackson. Yes, yes. Same situation, though. He went there to play him something else, and instead played the wrong side of the tape where this ballad was, and Michael went, what's that? Oh, man. And next thing you know, wow, success like yeah. crazy. Yeah, you know, so wow. Um, so uh, so anyway, so the album did nothing. That album that you yeah. love did absolute total flop. Right. But once that guy picked that song for that record for that show, Andrew became 
totally wealthy. You know yes, what I mean? And yeah. he, for some reason, let himself go. He was my size when we met. Mm. He was a skinny fucking guy. You look back mm. at the old vi videos, you'll see. Yeah, yeah. You know, standing next to me on Linda's stage, he looks, you know, trim. and Yeah. But he became the size of Orson Welles. So I, I wh how, what happened was he happened. He just decided yeah. to party on and eat everything in sight and, yeah. and take whatever he wanted as far as drugs went and booze. And, and he became this unbelievably fat mm. recluse, I guess. That's so, and he I was still working a little here and there, but yeah. he just got enormous, John. I mean, it was shocking to my wow. eyes. Wow. And, That's the and, most, I've asked a few, like I've had Stephen Bishop on here and I'm always trying to like find out what's the, what's really going on with Andrew. This is the most succinct answer I've gotten and that makes a lot of sense. The financial windfall that comes from the Golden Girls yep. theme yep. allowed him to, you know, check out and indulge yep. every whim after that. Right. Unfortunately, it probably killed him. Yes. And I, you know, that's my take on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because uh, I, I can't imagine that what else. And then he beat cancer. To, to die of a heart attack because he was still so fucking overweight. Oh, man, that's too he bad. He beat the fucking cancers that were trying to kill him. Crazy. And he just, his body, his heart just said, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, know? yeah. That's sad. Thank you for answering that honestly, by the way. I, uh, I've, I, Stephen mentioned something similar, but to just hear it outright like that, thank you for doing that. Um, now, you mentioned kind of, we touch on the business side of this a little bit, and you've, I mean, you've had a long and successful career, but I am curious, when you get that royalty statement or your mailbox money, what's the thing that is the highest earner on your statement? Do um, you know? Is it Werewolf? Well, well, Werewolf is the most reliable earner, let's okay. put it that way. Okay. Yeah, Werewolf is a, has been a constant earner. Okay. You know, more yeah. so than, and aside from that, the film scores that I've done. That's what I thought. Uh, okay. Film scores, because they, you know, they play in Europe and they have good theatrical mm -hmm. revenues there. We don't have that here. Yeah. So they, they get taken up. But her town, too. She's been afraid to go out. She's afraid of the knock on her door. There's always a shade of a she can never be sure who comes to call. Maybe the friend of a friend of a friend, anyone at all. Anything but nothing again. It used to be her town. It used to be her town. that James saw her tattoo in mm. JD Souther and he, yep. and the three of us wrote that. So that's that's been a good one too. But okay. but werewolves far above everything is definitely okay. the one that's I was curious. That reminds me that I'm I'm a little younger than you, Wadi, and uh, I discovered that song when I saw it in Color of Money, 
which I was probably 12 or 13 years old. That's when I discovered that song. And so you probably made a nice little uh, royalties check off that one too. But that's how yeah, these sure. songs get, you know, reintroduced to younger that's generations. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, I got to ask, how'd you get your nickname, Wadi? <laughs> I got my nickname from a, a guy that was in my band. or I, We were in a band together and I was always the... Uh, overly confident band leader type mm. so if someone wasn't doing what they should i'd be up their ass yelling at them and mm -hmm. uh and that was like when i was 16 it was that way so this guy he would fuck up a lot and finally one day out of nowhere i was bobby wachtel i was bob you know mm. period and all of a sudden i was yelling at him and yelling at him and he just looked at me and went i'm sorry wadi <laughs> what and that's what i said what he goes, I'm sorry, Waddy. Like that. I went, don't call me that. What is that? Goes, I don't know, Waddy. I said, stop that, man. <laughs> and, but after a while, um, I went, you know, I'm sick of Bob. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Waddy Wachtel has a great ring to it. And it's a, it's the song, it's the name of a guy like you, a famous musician. Yeah, exactly, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, last super obvious question. When, when was the last time you had a hairdo other than what you've had for the last eternity oh i would say um when i was about 17 okay I, I, I had to go home after being in a college situation and things fell apart band quit on me i had to Got go it. home and this barber uh had his way with me and mm. uh and <laughs> it was a drag yeah so i vowed to never cut my hair again but uh, you know i mean Sure. Figurative, figuratively. Of course. But yeah, it's been like this quite a while. Yeah, you've maintained the long curly locks ever since. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Wadi. You're a legend. It is such an honor to go down your pedigree like this. The thank immediate you. family. Uh, tell us when. Now, I know Cruel Twist is out now. The record will follow as soon as possible. Uh, we were shooting for November. I don't know now because of the situation we're yeah. all in. Yeah. But we're trying to put the movie and the, the album out together so okay yeah they're making a documentary on you guys right yeah they are it's wonderful yeah yeah it's really great okay well thank you all so right. much wadi you're a legend this meant a lot to me thank uh, you thank you man thanks so much buddy. all right have a good one take care bye-bye there you have it wadi Wachtel. pretty good right the last two weeks We've covered two of the most legendary session guitarist, songwriter, producer, multi-hyphenates of the West Coast sound ever between Waddy and Jay Graydon. We got them both. We're so lucky to hear from these people. And of course, we're going to close it out with, per Waddy's request, some more Warren. Uh, now, next week, our guest is, I'm trying to figure out how to say who it is, tease it without giving it away. Basically, he's a member of the band that is probably the most, uh, I don't know, legendary ballad band of all time. They would probably get mad if they heard me say that because there's more to them than that. But they are famous, world famous for their ballads. I probably just gave it away. But anyway, come back next week. That's who we're going to be talking to. You're going to love it. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Malkiewicz, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for all that you do. It's so fun doing this with you. Uh, you guys know how to find us by now. You can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. If you want to join up with Patreon, two bucks a month puts you in the running to win any swag or tchotchkes that we ever have to give away. Five bucks a month 
You can uh, be, I will let you know who I'm going to be interviewing. You can submit questions for possible inclusion in these interviews. Okay. And uh, we have more bonus material coming up. We had Fee, the deep dive with uh, Fee Waybill of the Tubes talking about completion backwards principle. And uh, this week we've got more. And there's just more. Always more. Okay. Anyway, love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Strikes up the wind, Johnny strikes up the bed. Good. Enough.